Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hi there. And what we're going to do today is get into the whole area of environmental, social and governance compliance and talk about the impact on organizations. Today, I'm joined with Michael Rasmussen, who is a leading expert in the area of GRC. Welcome, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here, Robert. And I'm Robbie O'Brien, CEO and thought leader within uh, Meta Compliance. So, Michael, let's gently ease our way into this area. Why is ESG a big, important topic for people and where does it come from? Well, I mean, it it, it, it has a long history because before we had ESG, we had corporate social responsibility and sustainability. And uh, corporate social responsibility was often passed around the organization like a hot potato because there was really no owner for it. And a lot of times ended up in marketing, became a branding exercise. Like let's add green to our logo. ESG is something that has evolved from that, but has a lot of teeth and requires accountability. Investors like BlackRock and State Street are are making investment decisions in companies based on their ESG practices. Boards of directors, individual directors are being voted out by their ESG-related metrics. Employees are making decisions on who they will work for based on not, not just salary and benefits, but also on ESG values and shared ESG values. Same with customers and clients and regulators are cracking down on it. It's coming out of organizations from all angles. So ESG is getting a lot of attention right now. You and I have been talking about compliance for a long time. At the heart of compliance is accountability. And ESG seems to me to be just the increased need or requirement in society for accountability on on these areas. And I think, am I right in saying that here in Europe, we're seeing a much more active ESG environment? Most definitely. I mean, with what you see with the German law on the Corporations Due Diligence Act, but also the corresponding EU directive, which is going to require similar legislation in every EU country. I mean, this is going to have a huge impact. I would say bigger than GDPR. But but the the ironic thing is GDPR privacy is included in it. It's part of the S in ESG, sort of what we're talking about today. Indeed. Yeah. And, and, and I think Let's let's get into the the heart of the matter. Let's let's talk more about it. What are the the challenges that most organizations face when they're going to implement an ESG compliance framework? Uh, being able to understand their context and and actually who owns it and is accountable for this. And but even from there, ESG involves a lot of different departments working together. There's not just one department for ESG. There, there's a lot of different departments. So it, it, a lot of times it can be hurting cats and getting these different departments to work together in some type of constructive way. And uh, Michael, you're a big rugby supporter. Is ESG in a lot of organizations like a hospital pass, a hail mary pass, where you end up as the person responsible for that? Is is that an aspect of it? Ah, I, I think so. And in some respects, it, it ends up being that way. But uh, in the end, it needs to be really strategically thought out and it needs to be part of the organization's culture. And I take it, it takes time. So there, it's a phased input depending on what aspect you focus on, what sort of industry you find yourself in. And I suppose the tolerance and the tone within your own executive team. 
Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Okay. Well, I think you have a presentation for us. Shall we get into that? Certainly. So today's organization is headed towards one of two futures. The world is headed to one of two futures. I wrote a blog on this before COVID-19 called The Tale of Two Futures. This is in December of uh, 2019 that I wrote this. But is our future a Blade Runner future or is it a Star Trek future? <laughs> we are headed towards one of these future, right? Where the, the social and environmental disaster of Blade Runner or if you look to the Star Trek world, of course, they are movies, so there's tensions and storylines and plots. But you look at Star Trek, and it's pretty much a green environment, and there's intergalactic cooperation among races and things. And so we're headed towards one of these futures of uh, environmental social governance as a world. But also, the, the, the decisions organizations make today are going to put us on that path as well. Now, but today's modern organization is what I call navigating chaos. It is a very dynamic, distributed, and dis disrupted business. Think about it. Regulations are constantly changing. Just in financial services firms, there's 257 regulatory change events every business day, every you know business day of the year, that is, coming from 1,217 regulators around the world. Uh, that's a lot of regulatory change. And I have to keep up with that regulatory change. I have to keep up with changing risk environment on shifts in technology and how that impacts privacy and data protection and other things and shifts in geopolitical risks and economic risks and industry standards and practices. But I also have to keep up with a changing business. Mm -hmm. Employees come in, they move about the organization. They have access to different systems and data like personal data and, and they even exit the organizations. And then you have all the dependency on third-party relationships where there's no black and white border of the organization anymore, that the, the edge of the organization is shades of gray as you deal with the extended enterprise. Yeah. And we have to keep all this change in sync, changes in laws and regulations, changes in risk, changes in business, changes in our business partners and relationships. That's navigating chaos. I think so. And I, I suppose the thing is that you also overlay in the last two years a changing status for, for people in, in the way they work, a new hybrid working, working from home. And so we've sort of moved towards that future in some way. Oh, we, we certainly have. And, and I, I tell you, uh, Robbie, that, that's a whole other webinar and things that we could be working <laughs> on together is, is the hybrid work environment. A lot of people haven't thought this out. Uh, and, and it's the information security issues in the home environment. I mean, look around me. My TV's connected to the internet. My speaker is, my wall outlets, my blender, my kitchen's connected. If any of these internet of things has some type of Trojan horse and backdoor, like think solar winds, I mean, they compromise my home network. But then with context of data protection and privacy, what, what can be hurt? If I'm on this Zoom call, you know, can, can a spouse, a child or a roommate overhear sensitive and personal information that... They shouldn't be hearing or a hybrid work environment who says they're working at home. They could be at the coffee shop. You know, what, what can be seen on screens or hurting in, in business calls and conversations there? There's so much that needs to be thought out when it comes to policies and training the hybrid work environment that does add to the chaos. Again, if we go to policies, which is a pet area for both you and I, a lot of times when we talk to organizations that are talking about overhauling uh, how they deal with policies from the view of providing greater direction for their staff, right? You tend to find that the first thing they, they stumble on is that their policies are typically out of date 
But all the policies pre-COVID were never written with this level of change, never written with this level of obfuscated perimeter. And is it not a case that all those policies need to be rewritten? They need to be reviewed, at least. But yeah. a lot of them do need to be rewritten. I mean, that that's actually part of this chaos. I, I, I was talking to one insurance company going into the pandemic. They found out they had 20 different policy portals. Uh, some were SharePoint sites, some were file shares, and some were commercial software that didn't work very well. Of course, they weren't using meta compliance. Uh, and, <laughs> and so it was a mess. And they found out that policies were redundant across these portals, and there was out-of-date policies. But also policies had different templates and writing styles. And in an environment where there's a lot of change and a lot of uncertainty, you know, going into the pandemic, this all worked against the organization. And they came to the realization we needed to have one policy portal to be able to manage all policies centrally for employees and communicate. And, and now coming out of the pandemic, adding to the chaos, you have all the rogue policies that some store manager or branch manager thinks they're smarter than the rest of the organization. And they're writing their back to work policies and vaccine policies that are different from the organizations because they don't agree with the organization. That puts a legal duty of care and liability and so opens the doors of legal exposure to the organization, all these rogue policies. Totally agree. And I, I suppose... For me, the change that has happened before is that when I was in the office, I could turn around and ask somebody, hey, how do I do this? Or where do I go find that? Now, the need for a single source of truth on this is how we do this in this organization, or this is how we approach this particular regulation in this organization has reached a brand new level of relevance, I believe. Definitely. I mean, it it reminds me of the quote from the physicist Frijof Capra, the more we study the major problems of our time, the more we come to realize they cannot be understood in isolation. What we're talking about, Robbie, I mean, it's exactly what the physicist says here. There's systemic problems. I mean, it's an interconnected and interdependent risk and compliance, ESG, GRC environment. Yes. And, And how do we understand all this context? And I feel sorry for organizations that are are trying to essentially do these unbelievably difficult things, disparate workforce, digital transformation at hyperspeed, and accommodate these, this myriad of regulations that sort of has probably got a a greater level of momentum than ever before. I mean, it, it seems to me that the ESG lead or push in Europe will automatically encourage more of that within North America, for example. So there's an aspect of paralysis as to where do you start in trying to bring these things together? What's the way forward for for organizations? What can they do? Well, it's going to be an understanding of what ESG is about. I mean, the environmental, the social, the governance, not just from the regulator standpoint, as you mentioned, the, the regulations coming out of Europe, but what does it mean to the organization, to our values, our culture, and our, and our integrity? For ESG to be done right, uh, and to even pass the regulator scrutiny, it, it isn't something about a checkbox requirement from a regulator. It's got to be something that the organization actually values and lives and is part of the culture itself. So you have environmental, social governance, and it's coming from a lot of different pressures around the world. I mean, every day you can pick up a business trade journal and find something related to ESG. But when organizations approach it, it's a lot of times like the blind man and the elephant, you know, <laughs> where, where, where somebody feels the, the side of the elephant and they think it's a wall. And, and that's like the person thinking, oh, ESG is all about the environment. 
but somebody else is looking at the S and thinks it's all, all about the social aspects. Well, somebody else is looking at the G, it's all about the governance aspects. And it really goes across these different areas. I mean, on the environment side, you have to deal with things like climate change and emissions and carbon trading and things and natural resources and pollution and waste. On the social side, I mean, you've got a lot of things to yeah. unpack. You know, child labor, forced labor, both going into the areas of modern slavery, socioeconomic inequality, diversity, inclusion, working conditions, health and safety, privacy and personal data, the, the focus of our conversation today, mm. product liability, stakeholder opposition, social opportunities. But, you know, we cannot forget the, the G, the governance that deals with corporate governance, fraud, internal controls, anti-bribery and corruption, anti-money laundering, information security. Of course, there's it's an interconnected environment because information security also interconnects sex with the privacy and, and, and personal data yes. on the S as well. We would like to put things in buckets, but things intersect with all these buckets. The governance also deals with corporate behavior and anti-competitive practices, tax transparency, and ownership and structure of the business. But the reality of ESG is that it comes down to what we communicate in our policies, in our processes, our controls. Is it a reality in the organization? You know, at the end of the day, culture and integrity for ESG is about looking in the mirror that what we communicate to the world, that these are our practices and our policies, is that reflected back at us? Is that who we really are or is it just fiction? That's what it comes down to. And it comes back down to a real belief, because if it's just lip service that's being paid or some sort of virtue signaling, it is very difficult to keep to the hard path to, to, to sustain it for a long time because it is a change management program that you're putting into place in, in reality where, and, and those are hard. I mean, all organizations have many examples of failed change management uh, programs in their past. And clearly there, there's risks that you're trying to offset as well, uh, real risks to the, the board of directors. So I think that you're right with, with you know, tick box on, on this is, is typically what people do when these things are new. And ESG is, is not new, but the element of how organizations have to now respond is, is increasing. And so therefore the, the level of activity is increasing. How do organizations go about moving from tech box to getting it part of their DNA, I suppose. I mean, that means clearly defining it in your policies and building a training and awareness program to nurture and develop that culture in your organization. I've got a slide that talks about attitudes, behavior, and culture that will be coming up that, that gets into some of that. But it, it, it's really making it part of the culture and that what we communicate in our policies isn't just fiction, but it, it is something that we live by and we value in the organization. Totally agree. I think it, it's easier if your industry becomes part of that. I, I, I remember working in oil and gas and they have the whole area of achieving zero harm. And that fundamentally passes through every meeting that they have, every policy, every decision that they make is, is, comes back to this, this one thing. And, and that took 30 years to put into place. Do you think this will take as long? Uh, it, it can't because uh, the, the regulators and people are cracking down and, and the people that are slow on this, they're going to be caught off guard and it's not going to work well for them. Yeah. It's very front and center because it's, it's all, it also plays well to the media. Uh, because these things affect people in their everyday lives from, you know, how you treat the environment to how you deal with corruption to how you deal with overseas problems like corruption and whatnot. It certainly does. It certainly yeah. does. But one of the big challenges we have right now is right where we're focused on this webinar is 
increased privacy risks and with the digitization of everything and, uh, and, and internet of things and everything being connected and uh, hybrid workforce. How do we deal with privacy risk in this global, dynamic, distributed, disrupted, and hybrid environment? I think you're also finding a lot of new entrants to the digitally transformed world. Organizations that aren't as experienced in handling lots of data because they didn't have a digital front end before, but they needed to get one very, very quickly because of working from home. And, and now you've got, you know, you fast forwarded 10 years I think that also, you know, the people's ease of unhappiness with handing over their data to achieve, to buy something or to fly on a plane or whatever you need to hand over your data, that sometimes is seen as the regulation being okay, that things are fine. But I, I think we're going to have a lot of catch up in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months where, where organizations are going to have to reflect on what is the validity of what you're, they're doing in relation to these privacy risks? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Uh, and, and the pressures are coming from regulators all over the world. I mean, this is just a selection. I mean, Robbie, you know, as well as anybody else, that if, if we put up every regulation related to privacy and data protection, this would be an eye chart. It'd be a busy screen. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a global issue. And, and then when it comes from a regulatory standpoint, you've got regulations that are very focused on privacy, like GDPR and CCPA. But then you got broader regulations that their focus might not be privacy, but they impact privacy, yes. like the Operational Resiliency Regulations in the United Kingdom or the Digital Operational Resiliency Act in, in Europe. Or the you look at the accountability regimes like the UK SMCR, Ireland's SEER, uh, Hong Kong's Managers in Charge, Australia's Bear Now Fear Regulation, in Singapore's Individual Accountability and Conduct. They're very broad, sweeping regulations that will require accountability in different areas. But one of those areas is, is privacy. And so you've got these broad regulations that include aspects or impact privacy in some way, but then you've got very specific privacy type regulations as well. And I think privacy is a big challenge for the mid-market where really the very, very large companies have dedicated data protection teams. They have uh, privacy specialists. But when you come to the mid-market, and we're still talking about quite quite sizable organizations, it becomes much more difficult to you know, fund those types of internal specialisms. And I think that's a... And these are non-trivial regulations, right? They're complex, not easily read, not easily implemented. And, and I've never met two uh, privacy experts that actually agreed on implementation of it. It's a quasi-religious view of things. I mean, what can organizations do to, in the mid-market to make these things easier for themselves? Is there a set of basic approaches? I mean, I, I find that if you look beyond the requirements and really try to make privacy a value of the organization, it becomes a lot more natural as part of the culture. And I can look out my window and, and see a, a large building here in Milwaukee. The, and, and I remember going in there several years ago and talking to their chief privacy officer. This is in the financial services space. And she told me that you know privacy is not about meeting regulatory requirements. At, at this company. And, and she pointed to the mission statement from the 1800s that was on, on, on a plaque on, on, in her office. And she said, you know, that mission statement says about doing the right thing for the customer. And she said, that's what privacy is about in, in this organization. It, it's not about meeting a regulatory requirement. At the end of the day, it's about doing the right thing for the customer. That's what our privacy program is built upon. And if we do that, 
the regulations fall in place and the requirements. And that is probably the summation of what is a an approach to privacy or indeed compliance that isn't a tick box approach. It's that sort of really sound spirit based approach that sort of as an overall vision gets you to a good place. It does. Yep. Yeah, I like that. But today's modern organization has to be able to see the tree as well as the forest, that individual privacy risk and the interconnectedness of privacy with other GRC and ESG risks. I mean, you think about it, you know, COVID-19 is an example. We, we move into a work from home environment and lockdowns. You know, it starts off with a health and safety risk. You know, all of a sudden increases information security risk, which increases privacy and data protection risks. And as we move out of the pandemic and we move to a hybrid work environment for the future, you know, there's increased in ongoing privacy and data protection risks that we already were talking about in the work from home environment or people working from the coffee shop. You know, have we really addressed privacy and data protection controls and policies in those contexts? I mean, it requires I, a lot I, of training. Yeah. Talking about training, I, I think the bit in the middle is the problem. So uh, trying to legislate for what people do in the office is relatively straightforward. Legislating for what people do at home, relatively straightforward. It's the hybrid environment. It's the multitude of places that people could be trying to legislate for that, either in terms of a policy or in terms of training for your organization is a meaningful task. As a result, I see people fixing the two, the the working from home piece and fixing the, what do you do in the office, an office first approach. And I think it's it's currently a work in progress as to how you deal with the, the hybrid scenario. That is. And, and, and that requires, because there's so many inputs into it, that there's some type of collaboration on strategy, process, and technology for privacy, as well as broader ESG that we're talking about today. It, it means that we have to have a top-down approach where we understand our privacy management strategy. And this involves not just areas of information security, but legal and compliance, human resources, marketing, and appropriate use of information. Uh, that there's different departments and functions that need to be involved in that strategy. From there, defining our policies related to that strategy and the controls from there, and then defining our privacy management processes and having the right information technology architecture like a meta compliance to support yeah. it. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose that the thing here is that, you know, behind this, there has to be a training uh, strategy to underpin this change because we're back to people again. And how do you bring people with you on this journey? Because this can't be an ivory tower initiative. You teed up my next several slides right there. I mean, uh, part of that strategy starts with accountability, not just responsibility. Responsibility is I can give to somebody else. Accountability Mm. means somebody owns it. Mm. And so who's accountable for privacy? But getting to that training, you know, our ESG and privacy culture is measured at all levels of the organization. We hear the term tone at the top, and that's extremely important because how the the executive commitment to privacy and broader ESG is going to reflect in the culture and tone of the rest of the organization. But at the end of the day, privacy decisions are being made down in the front lines of the organization. You know, that teller at the bank is making personal data protection privacy decisions every moment of the day, the person in the call center, the doctor and nurse at a hospital, whatever it might be, they're, they're making privacy decisions every moment of every day. And so our culture isn't just measured at the top, but it's measured at the, the top, the middle, and the bottom of the organization as well. And I don't know about you, Michael, but one of the things I've seen is that companies are becoming paralyzed by the misuse of these challenges, as in people are using it not to give 
information that, that actually isn't covered or not going through a process, you know, it, it, it sort of has become a, a form of trickle because the right types of uh, communication and directives aren't being given and certainly the right type of training as in, you know, the reason why we're doing it is to alleviate these risks. It's not to do X, Y, and Z. And I, I think that that is a, another challenge where we have this drift towards compliance being just more bureaucracy for the organization and not actually achieving the aims it was meant to. Yeah. And in related to this whole tone at the top, middle, bottom, we have the ABC model that was a part of the Institute of Risk Management Risk Culture. I'm a global ambassador for risk management for the IRM and uh, also an honorary life member. And we did this great publication on risk culture that's out there on the, on, on the IRM website. But the attitudes of the individuals throughout the organization at all levels shape and form the behavior of the, those individuals and processes and, and which all f- forms the culture of the organization. And that has a symbiotic effect of culture that it further influences the attitudes and behavior. And, and we have to carefully nurture the privacy and ESG culture of the organization because we want to make sure that it is the right culture. A culture of the organization is one of its most valuable assets. And in training is extremely important to make sure we nurture this culture. Culture can be destroyed in an instant. You have the wrong incident, wrong behavior, and it can completely destroy the culture in an instant. And it can take years to even decades to repair that culture. And so we need to treat culture as one of the organization's most important assets that it has. And that involves a lot of training and guidance, nurturing and development. I mean, you mentioned how organizations react around an incident. And again, that is incident management is a, is a webcast on, on its own for another day. But I actually think that is where the rubber meets the ground, the preparation for the event that you don't want to happen, where when the issue happened, because you haven't prepared, you haven't got the right policies or systems in place, something that could have been nipped in the bud is exacerbated and becomes far more impactful and damaging than it should have been. And then, you know, trying, as you say, trying to recover from that culturally, internal culture. And then also you've lost, you know, a reputation that up until that point was never in doubt. That's right. And so this needs to come into a very detailed privacy policy communication plan and a broader ESG communication plan. You know, it's something that you at MetaCompliance are experts at delivering on, but being able to clearly define what are our training and communication goals, who are our audiences? And we have different levels of audience that there's people in, in the privacy context that might need just a basic understanding because they're low risk roles for a privacy or data protection issue. Uh, but then there's others that are in the target hairs because they're high risk roles. They're interacting with personal data day in and day out. And so do we have different levels of risk exposure based on how we might segment our employees as far as an audience for our training? And then do we have the right resources like technology, like meta compliance and other things to deliver on it? And can it be delivered in different accessible ways in different languages and in different communication formats? And how do we measure the, the success of the program? How do we get back the metrics to know that people understood what we were training them on? And then how can we align our training and get stakeholders involved? You know, sometimes I find that when we have issues in the environment, it's because different levels of management don't take it seriously. And, and it's when management, particularly operational management, understands the, the need here that they start to take it seriously and the employees start getting things done as far as training. Absolutely. And I think as the ESG marketplace, the data protection marketplace, cybersecurity, as these things become more widespread, 
then it actually becomes a competitive advantage. We are going to be asking our supplier chain to provide validation on what they're doing in regards to ESG, what they're doing in regard to cybersecurity, and, and, the, and the risk assessments become part and parcel of doing business. And I can see that happening more and more. And what you've just outlined is really what these customers are looking for a vendor to evidence in some way. And really what you want is a way of evidencing it that A, is relatively straightforward, but also that the act of doing your business feeds into it. That's right. And so we need to be able to really, to address what we're talking about, understand a lot of change in the external context, industry practices for privacy, regulatory and legal requirements, shifts in, in like ESG societal type demands, shifts in technology, you know, moving to the work from home environment, the internet of things, you know, all these bring in new privacy and data protection type risks. What does the market expect and demand for privacy and data protection and broader ESG? But then look in our internal context of our risk and uh, tolerance, what's acceptable and unacceptable risk, training and communication programs, the policies and controls, the workforce understanding, all this is relevant and it feeds into understanding, you know, all these dynamic, changing, uh, disrupted uh, business environment of navigating chaos and how that filters into our mission, vision, values, our strategy and processes and our overall privacy risk and how we identify changes that are needed in our privacy policies, but not just in the policy itself, but in the training awareness program. It also means that we need to have a strong information architecture that understands privacy risk in relation to the objectives, the entity structure, the regulatory obligations, the related policies, the roles such as subject matter experts on privacy, the role of the individual employee, issues, incidents, cases, investigations you brought up a few moments ago. Uh, when we have those incidents and if we have good information that can help feed into how we uh, address our privacy policies or training awareness program, because we can find out where things are breaking at that point. But you know, technology like meta compliance automates this whole process from management reporting on training and awareness and privacy management to a strong audit trail of a system of record of activities that don't slip through the cracks. All this becomes important. And at the end of the day, provides a strong defensible record. What policy was privacy policy was communicated and what date and time? What training did the employee go through? Did they ask questions? Were those resolved? Are there exceptions to the privacy policy or controls related to the privacy? Are those approved properly and documented? Do we meet our regulatory requirements? At the end of the day, we need defensible privacy compliance that shows that the complete system of record and audit trail of privacy, then also how it filters into ESG where we started today. Absolutely. And I think for me, the, the big eureka is that I have never talked to a customer who has the perfect framework solution implemented. Everyone is on a journey. And I think the regulators don't expect to appear at a time of an incident or a review or auditors and see that you have everything perfect. They expect to see you on a journey. And I think there's a couple of things that are basic and, and without them, you, you, you can't actually move forward. So for example, that your employees are connected and, and, and involved through, as you say, policies, the processes and procedures, and also that it it isn't that the board of directors or the execs are exempt from it, but they're actually living and breathing it um, part and parcel of, of an overall competitive advantage approach. That, that's right. And so developing a strategy here means that we have to plan out our journey ahead of time. You know, where are we at today, our current state for privacy? Where do we want to be in two years? And what's our roadmap to get there? 
It means that we have the right people on the team. And, and of course, you have the chief privacy officer, data protection officer type role. But that also means we have to have the information security, marketing, corporate compliance, legal. And of course, as we tie this to ESG, whoever's responsible for ESG, which a lot of times I find that's the chief ethics and compliance officer. Yeah. And so we have to have a lot of the right people on the team. You have to have the right technology foundation that can deliver on policies and training for privacy and managing incidents like our host, you know, MetaCompliance, which Robbie runs as an exact example there, and be able to break things down into stages. And, and how are we going to address, you know, do we have the right policies might be stage one. How do we train and communicate on those policies might be stage two. How do we manage incidents related to those policies might be stage three. But if you take on too much too quickly, sometimes things fail and that doesn't work. And so we need to break things down into a project plan that's achievable. But uh, the reality is, is this whole world around us is very dynamic and things are constantly changing. You know, it was COVID-19 this last couple of years and they had big impacts on data protection and privacy and other areas. You know, who knows what the next year is going to bring us? There's a lot of things out there and we need to be able to be ready to address new laws and regulations, changing geopolitical risks that it could impact privacy, data protection and broader ESG, mergers and acquisitions that bring, you know, a huge new part of the business that we have to integrate to make sure they share the same values and culture that we do. There's a, this is what's exciting about our businesses. There's constant change. I think you're right. And I, like, I liked your slide there, the analogy of, of the base camps. And I think that's a really useful sort of rule of thumb when approaching this, because yeah, you're aiming for the summit, but getting to a good point on, on, on that base camp, bringing everybody with you is an achievable objective for your team and something that I think you, you can get them behind because if you went to try and do it all at the same time, you very, very quickly get user fatigue. They just choke on the amount of policies and training and missives that's coming from on high. And, and what really is a, a virtuous initiative turns into be something that people detest. And you really don't want that. That's true. And all this means that if we execute on what we've laid out, Robbie, uh, properly for the organization, we become more aware of our privacy risks and in a broader context like ESG. And, and that allows us to align our approach and to make sure that we address a dynamic and changing environment. That makes us more responsive to changes in the business, whether it's a merger acquisition or a new law or regulation, and be able to address that r rapidly or responsive to identify a privacy issue and contain it. That makes us more agile and resilient in a dynamic, disrupt disrupted and distributed environment. As well as, of course, at the end of the day, if we have the right technology in place, it should make us more efficient in our use of human resources and financial capital resources. Yeah. I was talking to one firm that's spending 200 hours to build a report for the board of directors because they had to comb through all these documents, spreadsheets, and emails and uh, aggregate and tabulate and all this information from assessments and things. It now takes them less than, less than a minute. Uh, the same thing, a mid-sized bank I was talking to, they found that 80% of their compliance resources was nothing more than document reconcilers. 80% of their staff time is managing documents, not managing compliance. And then they flipped that around. And so uh, a strong approach to privacy in an ESG context should make us more efficient. And all this is delivered because we have the right information technology architecture that can provide 360 degree contextual awareness of ESG and privacy culture, awareness, training, and policies and incidents. And, and really, I think it's that efficiency thing. We're looking for ways to move this forward to get to, to a more defensible position, but at the same time, not build up these huge cohorts of, 
management, these this additional bureaucracy. And I agree with you. That's where, where, where automation really does have a purpose. That's right. Well, listen, Michael, I, I think we've come to the end of it. I, I, I believe that we've covered off really the initial areas where ESG is impacting organizations. I don't think you can have a webcast these days without talking about the impact of working from home and, and COVID. If you were in the, the conversations you're having with your clients, what is the, the main sort of thing that they are doing to actually move their ESG, their privacy programs forward? What is the main thing they're doing to move their privacy programs forward? Yes. Uh, to me, it's understanding that, again, that it's about the culture of the organization. That privacy, privacy, I, I'm saying privacy now, but with, with, with <laughs> the, 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 the Irish approach, if it becomes just a, a tick box, checkbox exercise, it's never really owned and part of the culture. It has to actually be a value of the organization, something that we value the privacy of our employees, the privacy of our customers and clients, and, and it needs to be treated that way. And, and as I mentioned before, culture is the greatest asset for the organization. And, and privacy needs to become a nurtured part of that culture. Yeah. I, I also think that if, if you take that culture concept one step further, we as a company hire new people and, and we, we choose them for our culture. We want people with our culture. And likewise, people come and choose us for our culture. And if your culture is seen by potential candidates, potential customers, as being attractive, as in you're doing the things that is modern, that is seen to be, uh, you know, sustainable within within this new environment, this post-COVID environment. I, I really do believe it's it's a competitive advantage, and that's really where I think the energy could come from for for organizations. Because I, I do believe you're right. There's a a big challenge in it not becoming a tick box bureaucratic exercise and you know you'll find there there is an incident and 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 all the the wasted effort that you put into place will be of no value to you in, in those circumstances yep well listen very michael agreed. i'm going to wrap this up and again thanks very much for talking to me today i find that very insightful so we're running out of time and uh, we, i'd just like to say thanks very much for people who've dialed in and are listening to our discussion today thanks very much thank you 